You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54, 2, 5, and 10. I'm not going to lie, it's been a little bit of a quiet week in the NHL, but we still got a couple of storylines to touch for you guys. Benny, what up? It feels like the NHL season opened for the Rangers, and then the season ended since we have played exactly one game in the last 10 or 11 days. We don't play again until it's coming Thursday, so the schedule is kind of shitty for us uh, here in New York. But yeah, we got a milestone. Uh, we got a star returning, quote-unquote, home. We got our Bruins and Rangers. Uh, so we got plenty of stuff to talk about today. I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, too, that... The Bruins' 5-1 and one, one record it has an asterisk on it already. I mean, it, it should be 6-0 and oh on our way to a perfect 82-0 and oh season. But, I mean, we can touch on that later. Uh, who, who do we got first, Benny? Where do you want to start? We got uh, Patty Marlowe, Patty the Shark, returning home to San Jose uh, after two years in Toronto. He... Has his Iron Man streak. The interesting thing about that was was the news broke on Tuesday afternoon that Marlowe has signed a one year seven hundred thousand dollar contract with the Sharks, but they had a game that night which he didn't play in, uh, which everybody thought ended his consecutive game streak. But because the Sharks didn't officially file a contract until Wednesday morning, that game didn't count. He played in the Sharks next game, so he is now. I think 790 consecutive games, which is sixth in NHL history and third among active players behind Keith Yandel, Andrew Cogliano. Uh, Yandel is at 800, Cogliano is at 830. Uh, All time is Doug Jarvis at 964. So a little bit of ways to go for Patty. Yeah, definitely a little bit of ways to go. Uh, Very happy he was able to sign back home. One thing I have is, do you think they brought him back on just because of the start that they they had i mean it was not a very good start maybe looking for a jump in a different direction maybe you know bringing in the veteran leadership will help they are a very young club and i mean they do have certain guys not to mention evander kane who are just kind of have their heads up their ass so (laughs) i mean maybe on that end a little bit of a leadership thing but to me I, i just don't get why this happened now because they said over the summer they weren't signing him. Like, nope, we don't have any room for him on our roster, blah, blah, blah. He made it very distinct that that was the only team he was playing for. He was moving home to San Jose to be with the family. And now they sign him. Like, I, I mean, for what they signed him for and everything else, it's not like they couldn't fit him under the cap at any point. So to me, it's kind of like it seemed like there was more to this move than just we're signing Pat Marlowe back. And it's not, I'm playing one game or I'm signing for one day and retiring a Shark. He's legitimately playing for them. So Iron Man streak aside, I feel like there's more to it on the San Jose end. Yeah, I mean, they started off 0-4. Since they've signed him, they won two games in a row, kind of turned things around a little bit. Uh, He did sign for 700K, which could have fit all summer. I think it was more so San Jose trying to see if they needed him or if some of the young guys could take a step forward, whether they are prospects or a guy like Barkley Goodrow, um, Kevin LeBanc, Milka Carlson, 
So he actually, 40 years old, he's the all-time leading scorer. He's already playing on the first line. He's playing uh, with uh, Couture on the top line already. So jumping right into the fire there. I think it was more of just a shot in the arm, probably a little bit of getting some juice into the room. They're coming off of another long season. Most of the core is back. Took a little while for Jumbo Joe to come back. So the fact that they brought him in, they're putting him on a first line, but I'm assuming he's going to slot down to the second or third line role. Um, he can help out in a power play. But I think it's more about getting some juice in the room, uh, maybe even working with a guy like Kane, who's still facing some maturity issues on the ice. Um, and probably from a fan perspective, it's not going to hurt to bring back a guy like Marlowe when you start off 0-4. No, I don't think it hurts you in the least. Anytime you can bring in a guy that has his caliber of play, that's that's never going to hurt your team. I mean, look at him in Toronto. He wasn't a top-line player, more of a bottom-six role, but he was there. He was the voice. He was the guy that people looked up to. I mean, look at Matthews and Marner. So maybe just off based on his rapport of the past, that's why they bring him in to come in and change things. I'm with you. I do not see him staying in a top-six role by any means there, just off of his age and how he's kind of deteriorated speed wise. I do think that his skill is still there. If you put him on a power play, I think you definitely be able to set something up or score a couple of goals. I'm just interested with you got Patty, you have jumbo Joe. Do they, with the skill that they have, is their speed something that hurts you? That's just something we'd have to see play out in the next couple of weeks, but yeah, I mean, Jumbo Joe is slow as shit, but I think even Marlowe's in his decline at age 40, he was so quick in his prime that him at age 40 is still probably good enough to get things done. Um, I think going back to why now I just realized that Sorensen is out and he's listed as day to day, but he hasn't played in about a week and a half. So maybe the injury is a little more serious than the sharks are letting on. So they wanted to bring in some depth, and a cheap guy like Marlowe was able to come in and do that. So uh, that might be the answer to that there, as well as the slow start. But if we're going on somebody who can contribute at even strength, I'm going to go more so Marlowe than Thornton. But I think Thornton is probably still the better power play guy as the uh, assist guy. And as soon as Patty Marlowe, like the ink wasn't even dry on his San Jose Dale, do you think he signed that quick with CCM just to see that he now has new skates officially? Because, <laughs> you know, we all heard the story about the old skates and how he had bought X amount of them ahead of time and he had actually ran out of them last year. He was on his last pair and now he has a brand new set of skates. So maybe with the new wheels, he's like a new man. The real question is when he goes into the Hall of Fame eventually, which sweater does he wear, San Jose or Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> that That is a very good question. We shall see. <laughs> uh, speaking of Hall of Fame, we'll move on to our boy Phil Kessel. Uh, not the Hot Dog Hall of Fame, NHL Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, he just reached a milestone, 1,000 career games in NHL. Uh, congratulations to Phil there. That kind of brought up a point between the two of us on if he is a no doubt Hall of Famer, is he on a bubble? And if he is on a bubble, what do you think he has to do to get there, considering there are guys that have finished with better careers at this point that still aren't in the Hall of Fame? Uh, the biggest thing for me is this year is huge. You looked at 
the last couple of years or when he first came up, he was in the Boston system. He was with guys like Savard and Glenn Murray that could take the superstardom and the publicity away from him. And then he ends up going to Toronto where obviously he's in the Mecca, but it seemed like other people wore it a little bit more like Dion Phaneuf, mm. uh, Joffrey Lupo. There were certain guys that ended up taking it a little bit more. You go to Pittsburgh, he's a, behind Crosby and Malkin. But now he's in Arizona where he is the guy. It's not a question as he's one of the guys. Like he is the guy there. And granted, they have guys coming up like Clayton Keller and, I get that, but I mean, he is the seasoned vet. He is the 40-goal-year man. Now I want to see if he can do it without the supporting cast. And obviously, I I know they're not going to say when it comes to Hall of Fame voting that 1920 was the year that we decided that he wasn't getting in. But I think this is huge for him in the sense of what he can or can't do. Uh, NHL career, 1,000 games. 357 goals, 467 assists for 824 points. I know how you go on about how plus minus is irrelevant, but I have a very interesting statistic for you. Regular season, plus minus 88, minus 88 during the regular season. But when you go to the postseason, Mr. Phil Kessel in 87 career games, 33 goals, 44 assists for 77 points, but he's a plus 22 in the playoffs. So I think uh, it's a little bit crucial, and if you can do it at the right time, especially in the playoffs, I think uh, it, it speaks a lot. Uh, Stanley Cup years in 15-16 and 16-17, in 24 games in 15-16, 22 points, and in 16-17 and 25 games, 23 points. So. Definitely shows up to play, and he was a plus five and plus twelve both of those years. Yeah, I mean, I think Phil's kind of built a little bit of a reputation as a guy who you can rely on to perform uh, in big spots, whether it's in NHL or internationally when he gets the opportunity to. Um, my thing for his Hall of Fame case is so currently he has three hundred and forty-three career goals and nine hundred and thirty games uh, in a thousand games. Um, I don't know if he reaches the benchmark of 500 goals and a minimum of 1,200 points in his career because he's at age 32. This is usually when the decline really starts kind of kicking in. I know he's been durable. He basically plays every game every year, uh, but he's not in the best of shape. He's not the fastest guy. So if a decline is going to start hitting around this point of his career, I feel like it's going to really start impacting him. And I... I don't know if he's that 35-40 goal year guy anymore. I mean, he's never scored 40 in the league. But he's consistently 30-35, a little bit more than that. My only issue is looking at his kind of advanced stats last year, or even his just normal counting stats, He reduction of 10 points from the year before. He's down 40 shots from the year before, shots taken. Uh, his giveaways are up 18 it's all kind of the shooting percentage is down so it's kind of all pointing towards that decline and i know it's only four games in but in his age 32 year if he has another decline year i think that kind of tanks his hall of fame case because he needs to have at least another including this year four to five above average years to be in that discussion i think 
at this point, he's kind of in the hall of very good, uh, especially since my stance is Hall of Fame should be saved for those generational talents. Stevie Y, Forsberg, Ovechkin, Crosby, Brodor, Lundqvist, those guys. Um, but if you're just looking at guys that aren't in, if Jeremy Roenick is having as much trouble getting in, I don't know how Kessel gets in at this point. That's actually a very valid point. And like you said, when years start declining, especially in the current phase that he's in, that 32 year, from uh, 1718 to 1819, his time on ice dropped about a minute. And his average time on ice dropped about a minute. Like, that's crazy to me. Because I think that's what kind of led to some of the friction with him and Sullivan. No, and I'm sure it did, but I'm just saying on the other end, for a guy like him, he needs basically about eight seconds, and he can change a game. Just get a breakout pass, and he has some space to move, and he starts wheeling, and he comes in, he takes that snapshot from the top of the circles, and he beats goalies. And for your ice ice time to drop that much, like that's significant, and... Maybe that's why they thought he wasn't as effective as he once was. That's just crazy. And obviously, I think in Arizona, he's going to get more time on ice. But Yeah, it's going to be... I think this is his year in terms of make or break for having a chance at the Hall of Fame. If he has another 30-35 goals, the Coyotes make a run at the playoffs, even though team stats don't really count that much unless it's Stanley Cups uh, on a a Hall of Fame resume, I just think that would go a long way towards kind of helping his cause as he sees the uh, the autumn of his career on the horizon here. Well, j- just for another thing, four games in the Arizona Coyotes, one, two, and one for a total of three points. So for him taking over that quote-unquote leadership role and being that guy, not really a good start. I know we're still very early in the air, but not the best luck right now. And talking about having rough starts at the beginning of the year, I think we can kind of transition into our topic on are there already coaches on the hot seat? And I think the two biggest points, at least I think I feel obviously, is Hines, New Jersey. They lost again today. Uh, they blew a 4-1 lead to the Florida Panthers. They're now 0-4-2, a minus 16 goal differential. They're 0-1-2 at home. They're on a six-game homestand. If they don't win at least two or three more of those games, and Thursday's against the Rangers, so if they lose badly to the Crosstown rivals, that might lead to some action there. And then on the other side of it, in the Western Conference, we got the Minnesota Wilds, who uh, just won today for their first win of the year, but 1-4-0 for two points, minus nine goal differential. Uh, do you think any of those, with Bruce, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, do you think any of those two guys are in trouble right now, and do you feel like you can add any other names to that list, if so? No, I think uh, Hines is definitely in some trouble. Uh, to me, I don't think the record's as bad as the minus 16 goal differential. Just mm. with the game that they played last Friday night against the Winnipeg Jets, where they were up 4 to nothing at home and blew that game. Four unanswered, then losing in the shootout with the Blake Wheeler filthy finish. To me, that was like a... Oh, no. Like, that's when, you know, shit's not working. And And it happened today, too. Happened today, too. Uh, From what I'm hearing from my people in New Jersey is that John Hines today, post-game, actually had to go in and sit with the owners. Oof. Still employed, but had to go in there and sit. Whether it's 
you're in there pleading your case, whether you're saying, you know, we're only six games in, like, I feel like my system's working, whatever it is, to be this early in the year and having to do that is not a good sign. Furthermore, I mean, mean, Brooksy put it in the post this week. Uh, They already have Scott Stevens labeled as his replacement, but I think the only problem is that Scott Stevens currently works for the Minnesota Wild, who are about to fire Boost Boudreaux. So he he could be the big he <laughs> yeah. could be the biggest talent in the NHL right now. The thing for me is if you're looking kind of at their schedule, so they haven't won this year. They lost five four to the Jets, seven two to the Sabers, four nothing to the Flyers, four um, three to the Oilers, three nothing to the Devils, and six four to the Panthers today. That's two three or more goal leads that they've blown and then eventually lost at home. If you're looking at their schedule, they play the Rangers on Thursday and then the Canucks on Saturday. But after that, they don't have to play again until the following Friday, the 25th, against the Coyotes at home. If they're going to make a move, I think they would make a move after that Canucks game at the latest because that would give whoever comes in five full days of getting with the team, practicing, instilling a system, getting the room used to them before the next game. And then after the Coyotes game, they have three more days off before they uh, host Tampa Bay. So I think if there's going to be a move made, it has to be after that Vancouver game at the latest. Otherwise, you're kind of start giving your team a disservice with system changes or having to deal with new leadership. The other thing, too, is where does New Jersey churn coach-wise? And I mean it in a good way. Uh, I like Kowalski. I was with him in the AHL when he was down there. I, I think he's a really nice guy. He, he's a solid coach. I don't think he's an NHL head coach mm. by any means. Uh, Mike Greer, I mean, I like him as a player, but I don't think he has enough coaching experience to take over the helm. If you look in the AHL, you're looking at Mark Dennehy, who, while he was at Merrimack College, I think he did a great job with the teams that he had, but I don't think he's anywhere near an NHL coach. Not right now. Not only his second year in the AHL. So, they would have to look somewhere and whether they're grabbing somebody else's assistant coach where they're going to have to pay for that somehow, whether it's draft picks or however that's going to pan out in the future through them and the other team in the NHL when everyone gets involved. But that's just an ugly situation to be in. Like, listen, we're six games in. Look at the St. Louis Blues. I don't think we'll ever see another St. Louis Blues like they were last year. Yeah, and Boudreaux is kind of dropping that as a safety valve. Everybody counted out the Blues at this point last year, and look what happened to them. Yeah, you want to know what helped happen, Bruce? They fired their coach. Yeah, that's I know. what that's happened. I, was like, I don't think you want to mention that. <laughs> oh, like, what a fucking jackass. My God. Um, and the Devils aren't immune or not used to letting go of their coaches early in the season, uh, especially under Lamorello, uh, who I know isn't there anymore, but... Uh, John McClain was fired on December 23rd. Pete DeBoer was fired on December 26th. Um, that's just two recent names. I know there was back and forth with guys like Larry Robinson. So um, he was fired on December 19th back in the day. So the Devils organization isn't unaccustomed to the ability of firing a coach early. Six teams might be early, but they had a lot of expectations. They took on that Superman contract. I know the goaltending was always a question going in, and it seems to still be a massive question. But it's not a difference of being outclassed or outworked. 
it's when you're blowing multiple three-goal leads at home to teams that aren't really having that great of a start, that's that's a that's a problem. That's a coaching problem right there in my view. So I don't know if a change is going to be made in New Jersey. I don't know if Boudreaux is going to be fired. I think he gets a little longer relief than a guy like John Hines. Um, but even a team like Chicago is still winless. So we'll see how Colleton does in a windy city. Well, that's another thing too. If you look at Colleton, if they gas Colleton, they already took him up from the AHL. So they'd then be taking up another coach from either the A or they would have to find one of their assistants to name head coach. Like some of these situations are just not ideal in any which way, just not ideal. So, yeah, I think if they, I, all right, just to give my like predictions on it, I think Carlton lasts a year. I don't think they're going to fire a dude less than a year after they just hired him, especially since he's so young and he had these results last year when he took over. I think Heinz is gone on Saturday night or Sunday morning. And, and Boudreaux, I give him until right after the holidays. If the Wild is still struggling, I think he's going to get canned too. So I think, I know my prediction was Travis Green of Vancouver is going to be the first coach to be fired, but John Heinz and my uh, my friends in New Jersey are making it difficult for that to come true. Uh, for the record, I called that. So if I can chalk one <laughs> up on this end, I'll take it. Kevstradamus. Kevstradamus, baby. The name's coming. Um, but all right, moving on. We got the Bruins. We got the Rangers. It's the Bruins and Rangers week in review. So how about you take it over since the Bruins actually played some games more than one in the last week? <laughs> more than one? Did, did we play enough? Um, <laughs> yeah, the guys just had a phenomenal road trip. Uh, came out of that road trip 3-1. We can talk about the Colorado game, about the two missed calls, but at the same time, I'm I'm more of a guy. I don't like to dwell on the past. I kind of like to, you know, give people the credit they deserve. So hats off to the Colorado video coach for getting extremely ballsy and calling the goalie interference in the offside. Um, that goalie interference call to me was extremely minimal. And when you're going to potentially risk a delay a game penalty on something that I, I see the play. This is what I see. I see Krejci comes in. I see Grubauer first initiates contact. Puck still isn't there, still kind of irrelevant. You follow the play, and then it looks like Grubauer goes to his near post. Krejci's still not in the crease, but at the top of it there. When Grubauer goes to follow the puck and he kicks out and he comes across, it looks like his skate ends up hitting Krejci's skate. And Krejci isn't in the crease, but to actually have the balls, I, I mean, the, to have the balls to call that from the coach's office and say challenge this play where it looked extremely minimal and to risk the two-minute penalty, because not only that, the Bruins could come out and score again. So that's a little worrisome on that end. But to win it, and then you win another one later, because at that point it was 2-1, to one, so it could have been a 3-1 to one Boston. It keeps it a 2-1 to one game. So hats off to Brett Heimlich. Used to be the San Jose video coach up there. When I was in Worcester, he was the guy in San Jose. So Brett, very nice guy. Looking at it, going to today, I mean, David Pasternak, four goals. <laughs> yeah, like the team's clicking. Uh the guys who didn't show up for Game 7 last year, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marsh, and David Pasnack, 
they are on fire right now. And if you go to NHL Instagram, just go to Instagram, type in NHL. They posted a video today of the game from Saturday night against New Jersey of Patrice Bergeron and Brad Martian running. That penalty kill? Oh, my God. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that that's how you draw the penalty kill up. Like, what, what would you say is the best penalty kill of all time? You'd have to look back to Bobby Orr where he would skate the puck for two minutes and no one could catch him. <laughs> but in nowadays NHL, I mean, that has to be the best you could write up. Like, it just and that's looked... incredibly frustrating, dude. I was watching that video, and I was, like, imagining myself in a devil's. And I'd probably two-hand shot Martian in the back of the leg. They get the puck. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking, that someone's going to two-hand chop somebody else, <laughs> and then they're going to get another penalty. That was exactly what I was thinking. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, it, it seems really good. It seems like the guys have came flying out of the gate, didn't know what to expect after the Game 7 loss last year. I know last time we talked, the Bruins are only two games into it, so it's kind of hard to have predictions as to who, what, where, when, why. The one thing I've noticed still throughout is they're playing very fast hockey. They're being a very fast team, and for someone who has watched the Bruins be the opposite for all these years, I, I can't tell you how exciting that is knowing that in this new NHL, you have to be a fast team, you have to be an up-tempo team, I know I can already hear it. I can hear it. St. Louis was a bigger team, and that's why they won in the Stanley Cup. I get it. In a Game 7, that's something you need to close it. But if you look at all those other games throughout it, you have to play fast. You have to be able to be up-tempo. You have to attack with the puck. And that's what the Bruins are doing. And it's very fun hockey to watch. And... I can't imagine any Bruins fan calling me right now and telling me something different. The only thing a little worrisome to me, maybe not even be worrisome, is the workload between Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. It seems like right now it's favored a hair towards Halak. I know that Tuka got pulled at the end of the game in Vegas for cramps. But um, no, I, I have no complaints. It seemed to be a very great start so far. That time in a month for uh, Tuka. Yeah, a little cranberry juice will fix them. <laughs> uh, and about that whole size versus speed and skill, yes, I think you always need a combination of both if you can. But take it from a Rangers fan who had to suffer through years of watching these fucking meatheads lug the puck up the ice. I do enjoy watching Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, and Kapokaku on the ice instead of these big-ass dudes who don't know what they're doing. So if I had to choose between what's more entertaining, I'll take the skill all the time. Oh, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue with you that, especially seeing the, the skill that people have nowadays, at least offensively, is incredible in this league. And Gary Bettman and all those owners, they have to, I mean, I know CBA-wise it's always a battle, but they have to legitimately be thanking these players because without this excitement in the game and what could possibly happen, I... I don't think numbers are as good as they are now, and I don't think ratings are as good as they are now. Yeah, and a good start for some of these markets that have been struggling these past few years. You look at uh, Anaheim, you look at Buffalo, so it's a good way to kind of spread the wealth around a little bit. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts in terms of sustained success, but yeah, it's a good start to the year. And I just feel like the last two to f four years, counting this year, there's just been more 
I guess, spread out of young talent around the league. It's not just bunched together around tanking teams. You you can watch a game any night, and there's probably two or three guys, 27 or younger, 28 or younger, that are elite or going to be elite and just adds to the excitement. So that's kind of what's helping the league a little bit, in my opinion. Um, moving on to the Rangers, like I said, they played one game this past week uh, after having, was it, six days off after the win in Ottawa last Saturday. They lost to the Oilers. Uh, they were up and blew the lead. Uh, that was the Oilers' fifth straight come from behind win to start the year when they started 5-0. and I think they're 6-0 and now at this point. Uh, Kapu Kako got his first career goal, which was on a nice uh, backhand-forehand deke against Mike Smith. Strom sent him out with the assist. But other than that, you know, late in the game, kind of fluke goals, but McDavid, Drysaddle kind of took over, and the Oilers won 4-1 to there. The Rangers have off until this Thursday. They play the Devils and then uh, Washington and Washington. So the first back-to-back of the year. The thing for me is, and this is kind of going back in review for the first two weeks since we've only played one game, the Rangers' lack of talent in the bottom six is going to start hurting not just their offense production, but their prospects. So you have Brett Howden and Leah Anderson, who are centering the third and fourth lines, respectively. I love Brendan Lemieux, but everybody else in the bottom six, they're playing with guys Greg McKegg, Jesper Foss, Brendan Smith is a fourth-line right winger. Like You can't really evaluate how Anderson and Howden are doing offensively with the guys that they're skating with. And on the flip side, you can't count on offensive production from your third or fourth line at even strength. So that puts even more pressure on Panarin and Zibanejad. Kreider still hasn't found his footing to start the year. Strom is your second-line center. So the Rangers have had a pretty promising start. Their power play looks freaking incredible, um, thanks to their top line. But that's my concern right now. And as quickly as their young guys in Harford uh, crafts off and Heedle can get NHL ready, the better, because we're we're going to start struggling once these games start picking up and we're playing three and four nights back-to-backs with a third and fourth line that can't be counted on for anything offensively. Um, the last thing I kind of wanted to hit on is Adam Fox is a real deal. And I know he hasn't put up offensive numbers to start the year, but he is he's not as easily pushed off the puck as you would expect from an offensive-minded small guy 5'10", like 180, around there, 190. Um, he's just really smart with the puck, and he can... It's like the puck's glued to his stick. So that old cliche. But Fox is a real deal. Kaku's a real deal. I'm just concerned about our depth, and obviously uh, kind of what the goalie split's going to be in New York. We haven't played enough games to kind of figure that out, but Georgia played well in his one start. Lundqvist has played well, overall, he's letting a few clunkers, so we'll see what Quinny does in terms of ice time and starts there. But satisfactory start to the year. I just wish we'd get these games going, man. We played back-to-back Thursday and Friday. Um, the good thing for the Rangers is, and this is my last thing, they played against Winnipeg at a home. Their only road game so far is to fly up to Ottawa. They won there. Then they had six days off. They played at home against Edmonton. Four days off, and then they go all the way to New Jersey to play the Devils. Then they take the train down to Washington to play the Capitals. And then they're at home for the next five games for, over the course of two weeks. So a very generous start to the year schedule-wise. 
Yeah, not a lot of wear and tear. Do you see any uh, rust starting the season with, with the layoffs, or do you think with the lack of travel and, I mean, mileage-wise going to these next couple of games, it shouldn't be bad at all? I think skater-wise, it was not a problem. I know they lost to Edmonton after that long break, but I think skater-wise, they were fine. They kind of had a second mini camp on that week off, essentially, uh, with Quinn, which I think helps with some of the new faces. And then uh, the rookies that are trying to get accumulated to the NHL. I think goaltender-wise, the layoff is a problem. And I feel like uh, you can kind of hit on that, too, in a sense of, especially a guy like Lundqvist. He's used to playing 70 games a year. Um, I know he's kind of more in the, in the timeshare now, but having he played the home opener and didn't play in Ottawa, so he basically had nine days off between starts, and now he's going to go four days off. So I think that kind of prevents goalies, whether Hank or Georgia, from kind of getting into that rhythm. So hopefully, as the schedule picks up, they can kind of break that off. Fair enough. Fair, fair assessment. Um, I, I got to say, as we start moving into our game of the week and lock of the week picks, how the fuck did Tampa Bay lose to Ottawa for me? <laughs> That's what happens when you go with the layup week one. Anything can happen, pal. And I I knew we we joked about it last week and then off the air, but when you got yours, I'm like, hey, it's fine. We'll be we'll both be one and zero. And then I just I didn't even pay attention to checking the scores until later that night, or even the next morning. And then I saw that Ottawa won. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So, like you said, that's what I get for taking it easy or trying to take it easy. Well, well thank you for. Uh... The utter, the already generous being ahead in uh, week two. I appreciate that. All right. Who do you got? All right. So game of the week this week, I have Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Me and Benny are on the same time zone. I have Tampa Bay at Boston. I think Tampa currently uh, sitting seventh at the Atlantic, 2-2-1, two, two and one. Boston at 5-1-0. I think this is going to be a, a very interesting game due to not the start Tampa had anticipated. Uh, granted, th- their guys are definitely putting up points. Stamkos, Braden Point. I-, I just think it's one of those things that not everything's clicking just yet, and they're going into a very hot Boston team. So I think that'll be a very uh, intriguing game to watch on Thursday night. Maybe have a few pops. We'll see what happens if I go to work <laughs> Friday. And then my game of the week, uh, I'm sorry, my lock of the week is Saturday night, uh, 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. I am going with the Calgary Flames over the Los Angeles Kings in L.A. I know that L.A. had just beat them over the weekend in overtime. Drew Doughty told all the Calgary fans to suck his dick. (laughs) I think that... uh, That's rivalry in sports right now between uh, uh, him and Kachuk. I think so, and I think happy, that yeah. I think they are going to be uh, they're going to go at it. And for whatever reason, it's always usually in L.A. when Kachuk tries to kill him. So I think <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen here. Did you see that uh, Drew Doughty tried to bury the hatchet with Kachuk like for real, and then Kachuk was like, "I'll see him next week." Yeah, I mean, for me, it's this is the only thing. I don't know why Drew Doughty now would want to bury the hatchet because that hatchet could have been buried two years ago. 
but yeah, no, kept going. Anytime there was a pregame, well, I'll see you tonight. You know, play the hard guy, and now, oh, I'll give him a compliment if he gives me a compliment. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, that, yeah, that's that's, that's some, some soft of, shit. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like some of the softest shit I ever heard. Like, you know what it is? He's scared of Maddie coming in and blowing him up on a four check. He's scared like he was that time when he ducked that hit in open ice, and then the other guy came and jumped Kachuk. Like, they don't want Kachuk running around. Doughty doesn't want him running around. You know what? Don't acknowledge him. But but there's one thing yeah. here that's different. Hey, you don't want to deal with Kachuk now? That's fine. They got the big 1-7 bomber coming down that left wing too, <laughs> Doughty. So, hey, you know what? Maybe Maddie goes there and he plays a very nice gentleman's game. But then you have the other guy coming who's twice his size who's going to try to level you. I, I love the yeah, gamesmanship. I love it. I'm just... If I'm Kachuk, I'm more emboldened to act like a little dirtbag now that I have Luch running around with me. Oh, exactly. Now he has a guy to do the dirty work and sit five. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Drew, I think you're a great player until I see you Saturday night. Like, Yeah. I yeah, that's definitely phenomenal. a game to keep an eye on. Um, I'm going to go my game of the week pick. It's also going to involve the Tampa Bay Lightning, but it's going to be against the Colorado Avalanche. Good pick. On yeah, at, on Saturday in Tampa Bay, as of this recording, Colorado is one of the last, one of two of the last unbeaten teams in the National Hockey League. They're off to a great start, 22 goals already, 12 goals against. Uh, Tampa Bay, like you said, still kind of getting their footing a little bit, but you know they're going to turn the Jets on probably in the next week or two. So I think that's a really good early test for a young team like Colorado. Uh, my lock of the week, I was punished for taking it easy last week, so I'm hoping the hockey gods will smile upon me this week. I'm going Sunday, October 20th. The Washington Capitals on the road against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm taking the Hawks. Wow, all right. I was going to say, here goes Washington, but I like that. Uh, so we'll see if the, the gods smile upon my generous wisdom of potentially going down two games to start the year. Yeah, it might be a tough road for you to climb out that funny. <laughs> Um, <coughs> moving on, got this date in NHL history for today, October 14th. Got a couple quick hits for you. In 1979, Wayne Gretzky scores his first NHL goal in a 4-4 tie against the Vancouver Canucks at Northlands Coliseum. Uh, and 19, excuse me, 1979, the Flyers begin the longest unbeaten streak in NHL history by defeating the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-3 at the Spectrum Center. The Flyers go... 35 games without a defeat, 25 wins and 10 ties before a 7-1 road loss against the Minnesota North Stars on January 7th. And lastly, in 1991, Mike Gartner scores his 500th NHL goal. That's Mike's favorite right there, Mike Gartner. Uh, <laughs> his 500th NHL goal in a Rangers 5-3 loss to the Capitals at Madison Square Garden. Gartner was forever screwed over by Mike Keenan in a Rangers Stanley Cup year by being traded uh, away because he didn't fit the system. We probably wouldn't have won a cut with him, but we definitely didn't need Glenn Anderson. So uh, thanks, Keenan, for that. But congrats to Gartner on the 500 back in 1991. All right, who do you have for shout-outs this week? All right, shout-outs this week. I know always First Lady, uh, we're finally completely unpacked here. We actually have things put together where now we're going to have guests start staying with us starting this weekend, so excited for that. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to 
a couple of our friends who are visiting. Uh, one is her friend Annie from Boston. Uh, another is our friend Karin from San Francisco, who they couldn't go just a few weeks without seeing me. And added that he had to come all the way out of here from San Francisco to visit us for a whole five days. So shout out to him for being a little clingy. I'm also going to give a shout out. Not so much of a shout out, but a little bit of a heads up. Anybody that's in New York or can make it down to New York uh, for next weekend, October 27th at 1 p.m. at the Garden is the Rangers Alumni Classic game. Uh, money goes to for a good cause. It's the Rangers Garden of Dreams Foundation. Uh, just some names that are going to be playing that you can take the ice with. Glenn Anderson, Jeff Bukaboom, Ron Duguay, Darius Kasparitis, Adam Graves, Brian Leach, Stefan Mateau, Brian Noonan, Mike Richter, Brad Richards, Colton Orr, who I would definitely challenge to a fight. Uh, Roger Bear, Greshner, Vic Hadfield, Dave Maloney, Brad Park, and Jean, Jean Rattel. So if you're in New York or you can make it down, even if you're not a Rangers fan, that's a fantastic group of guys to take the ice with. I, my boy Books. Gotta got love Jeff Bookaboom. Books. Uh, who do I have this week? Uh, you know what? Daddy's tired. I, I'm tired. I, I need a vacation. I got to be honest. I'm a little beat up. Uh, maybe I don't need a vacation. Maybe I just need like an uninterrupted nap. That that might be nice. But yeah, uh, got a busy week at work ahead. We got a whole bunch of shit going on. So I already get looking, get to look forward to that, which is weird considering my job's never really that overwhelming. But it seems like it will be this week. Um, next week I get to go get my hoisting license, which they paid for. So daddy's happy about that. Benny, I, I think I'm coming to visit you soon. I'm not exactly going to tell you when I, <laughs> I, I hope the guest bedroom is taken up and I'm just going to slide right in there. Not giving a shit who's there. I hope it's some of Anna's friends are like, get the fuck out. They're going to like, who that get the fuck out. It's my room. And, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have some fun. Uh, shout out to, um, the Mr. and Mrs. Stratford, or Mr. and Mrs. True Love, whichever way you want to uh, diagnose them. They uh, just had their one year of marital bliss, so congratulations to them. Uh, congratulations actually, to Stratty for not driving her away. Hey, it's a gift, pal, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just had him over for a very nice dinner before this, and then we got possibly one of the best text messages I've ever received in my life from you that not even Skype likes college hockey, so shout out to Stratty. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I got. On, we'll have him on around at Beanpod to give us some NCAA updates. We'll, we'll give him on, get him on when everybody in Boston starts caring about hockey. What do you think? Uh, he won't do the Beanpod. No UMass in it. So we'll, ah, we'll see. He can't have it both ways, my friend. I also want to let you know that when you do come and visit, there is – it's not ice hockey, but there is a roller hockey rink a five-minute walk from our, our building. So we can take our skates and sticks and go over there if you ever want to. All right. Um – Random question. It is New York. Are they going to look at us funny for carrying around hockey sticks? They're not going to think it's like a gang war going on, are they? Or? Uh, no, I mean, there's things that New Yorkers carry around that don't even get looks, like bags of shit, machetes, things like that. So we'll be good with some hockey sticks. Oh, good, good. That, perfect. <laughs> uh, a- anything else this week while we're wrapping up? I think that's it. I'm just, you know, non-hockey related, but the Yankees... Lost last night in extra innings against the Astros. Game that they could have and should have pulled out. Now we got three straight at home starting Tuesday night. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Also Thursday with the Ranger game. You you know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be pacing my apartment, chewing on my, 
on every piece of furniture in here because of the energy and stress of trying to see a Rangers win, maybe ending a coach's career in New Jersey, and also the Yankees trying to get to the World Series again. And um, just going off of past practice, I mean, does she know to not let you watch a game with a hockey stick or a baseball <laughs> bat or anything like that, and like any foreign objects? Or? I, I will say that I have grown out of that. I'm very proud of myself. She left me alone last night to watch the Yankee game, and even the game was about four hours and 45 minutes long, but even when the Yankees lost, they lost in a walk-off home run. As soon as the ball was hit, I knew it was gone. I got up from the couch, I turned the light off, and I just walked into the bedroom and went to bed. I didn't even say a word. <laughs> that is so disappointing. i got to be honest. I, I have to bring Mike back on here so we can hear some really good old stories. <laughs> yeah, Mike had some good stories when we lived together in college, and the Rangers... They blew that 3-1 series lead to the Capitals, and then Fedorov scored uh, to kind of seal that series for the Caps. And we walked to dinner, and I brought an old hockey stick and just shattered it on a parking post as we walked to the cafeteria. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a time where we watched the uh, Rangers-Bruins game in your uh, dorm room, and we ended up losing in the shootout, and Hank saves the puck, and Mike just, like, drop kicks the fucking fan. It just <laughs> walks away and like the door closes and I'm like, and yeah, that, I'll see you later, Mike. Yep. Sounds good. But so, yeah, I, I mean. will say my favorite, my favorite Mike story of him getting mad in regards to hockey is Scott Walker. Um, when the, the hurricanes knocked the Bruins out of the playoffs, what was it? Oh, eight or oh nine. Yeah. Um, I was watching it with him and all he did was get up leave the room and go into one of the bathrooms in our college suite and just close the door. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to go back down to my room now. <laughs> yeah. Me, me and Phil were at that game packing fucking apple skull and Scott Walker, that piece of shit scores. And Oh my God, I couldn't, I, I legitimately just couldn't even. Yeah. That, that was probably by far the quietest walk home of my life. So the best talking memory, I wish you were a part of this, was when Parisi scored that goal late in the third against Canada to tie for Team USA. And Mike and I jumped up and we were screaming like the highest pitches I've ever screamed with him. And we were just hugging each other, jumping up and down together, going, oh my God, we tied it, we tied it. And you're like, wow, this is weird because usually one of us is mad and the other one just watches. <laughs> But yeah, that was probably the best. And then I know Crosby scored the game winner, but Jesus Christ, in that moment, Zach Parise, man crush. The, the funniest thing about that game was I was working in Lowell for that game. I remember it being the Sunday afternoon. Uh, you can tell guys were there just because they had bought tickets ahead of time because their kids were playing in the pregame, so they kind of felt obligated to go because once his overtime started, at least half of the stands were on, <laughs> yeah. they were on like the concourse level, like all watched it on some guy's phone. And then once as Canada, so you could just hear the grunt, like the, the wind just gets sucked out of the building. And then just all these guys just casually walking back down the stairs to their seats. <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't even know anybody just went and sat down. So that, yeah, that was a little upsetting. And, and I'm pretty sure we lost that day, too, which made it like a double whammy on a Sunday. So, ugh. Yeah, we should have uh, – you should bring Mike on. We should bring Stratty and Fast Phil individually and just share, like, old war stories from college or our playing days about the highs and the lows. Oh, God. I mean, me and Phil already gave some pretty good highs. But, uh, yeah, we'll <laughs> have to go to the lows. All right. Yeah, that's it for me. All right. Well, as always, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week. I mean, not too much in the hockey world, a little quiet, but we're trying to give you what we got. 
And, I mean, as when it comes to us, what you see is what you get. We'll, we'll catch all you guys next week. I'm a puzzle. I'm a walking contradiction. And far from a condition. Cause there's pieces I can't find Sometimes trouble I can't cope with the addiction With setting stone convictions And an open bottom line I'm an easy read but I ain't no open book Got a knack for making things Harder than they look I'm a straight shooting beer drinking Rule breaking Don't think I won't take a good thing to fall What you see is what you get